what's up and welcome back to nostalgia pod giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture my name is pat sheehan joined by my co-host dave Marswagger. dave how you doing this week man doing well dog doing well how's it going <laughs> it's going well uh made it to the movie theater this weekend not to see as many movies as you did as it's usually the case so you're you're putting in that grind and i'm, I'm slacking but uh you know it I saw a tweet that really described the experience well, where we're hitting that time of year where everything in the movie theaters is like prestige Oscar level stuff. And all the previews are like dropping in January and you just know it's like complete crap and going to be huge. Well, and Emmerich's so. moonfall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, always a, always a fun time of year to be going to the movies. We're going to be talking about, I think two movies that we both uh, found at least intriguing, if not good. Um, I mean, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Licorice Pizza. Dave getting in those early showings of, of Paul Thomas Anderson's newest movie. We also watched some TV shows. But before we get to hit that subscribe button on YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. And go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to follow the podcast any other way you would like to. We start uh, in a, a sad, sad place today, though, Dave, as, uh, you know, over the over the break, um, I guess it was just a couple of days ago. Was it yesterday even? Yeah, it was wow. yesterday. You know, it's it's funny to say that because I, I feel like yesterday and the whole weekend in general is just a blur. Um, and it also feels like I've read so many tweets, so many like articles or tributes to Virgil Abloh, who passed away um, at the age of 41 after a uh, battle with cancer. Um, it, that it just almost feels like I've been more present in, in hearing about him than one than just one day um, and mm-hmm. since his death. So it feels like uh, feels like a long time, a very short time, all all mixed in one. And I mean, obviously, a shocking loss. Only forty one years old, titan of the uh, fashion industry, really just a, a presence within uh, hip hop culture and. Um, I think just culture in general, but what was your just like initial response in seeing the news? Yeah, obviously very sudden, very sad, similar, unfortunately, like Chadwick Boseman in terms of a non-publicized battle with cancer and Virgil's case, a rare cancer. And then just like that, it's all gone, you know, and just seeing all the outpouring, as you said, I think speaks a lot to him. As people know, we don't we don't, we don't talk about high fashion and streetwear on the pod here, but Virgil was someone who managed to really transcend that in I think a a, a meaningful way in music, in in sports, uh, in in the art world, and of course in the fashion world. It's always kind of this big thing as you know, as as culture is you know, and just seeing all the, all the people uh, talking about him really cool. Um, and I was just thinking about like, again, not someone who's up on high fashion. I don't pay attention to off white, his company, you know, I, I don't, I'm not up on what he was doing to shepherd Louis Vuitton as the first male, uh, black male, uh, you know, head of Louis Vuitton and whatnot. But what I did notice was how he kept popping up everywhere else. Right. Uh, look no further than his his genesis, right? Coming up alongside Kanye West. Uh, and we talked about him last year. 
on that Lupe Fiasco EP where there was just yep. some like speeches um, or talks Virgil was had been had given being sampled at the end of those Lupe songs, right? Um, and I think probably my, my favorite moment of all of this, right, apart from just seeing him with Kanye, seeing him with Rihanna or ASAP Rocky, what have you, uh, Uzi, whoever it is, I, I loved uh, how Drake referenced Virgil in his beef with Pusha T in Duppy Freestyle. I thought it was one of the best parts about that diss where he made fun of Kanye for letting Virgil become bigger than him in the fashion world out from under him. I thought that was a really smart thing to say when it comes to rap beef, but yeah, man, he's, uh, he, he's been around uh, for, for only like, you know, like six years in a major way, but you could, I mean, it was just so busy, so involved, right? I mean, even al- album covers, something as simple as that countless ones he's designed in hip hop, you know, he's, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a sad loss. No question. Yeah. His presence is just felt all over the place, especially within hip hop culture and, you know, in just kind of reading about his life and seeing that he was, uh, you know, he came up with Kanye. Obviously, they interned together at Fendi back in, you know, the early uh, or the, I guess late thousands, you know, aughts. Um, but to like see his rise and just see the the reach he had, and it's it's so interesting to be talking about him a week removed from Young Dolph, right? Who, um. Young Dolph's death, death, I think a lot of people were like shocked at just like the impact that someone like him had and like a loss of, of a person like right. him had, especially because like we, we as we talked about uh, last week on the pod, he wasn't necessarily like the biggest name, but had just kind of like been making a lot of music and like subtly had very regional. Yes. And so I think subtly had started to mean a lot to people. Virgil is like uh, almost like a bigger than the life type figure in a sense like you mentioned all of his accomplishments within the hip-hop world and just a, and in the fashion world especially within a short period of time it almost feels like he's the type of person that just was always like there kind of like in the consciousness yeah. like oh yeah you know he's just like this titan of the industry so to see someone like him you know just kind of go you know having this rare cancer i believe it was um cardiac angiosarcoma or something along those lines yeah, something, um, something like that. It's just a reminder of you know even the the people who are seen most powerful and infallible are just people in the long yeah. run. Um, it's cool to see his impact. I think obviously a very inspirational figure, especially for the black community. Um, and I think it's it's hard to like see him and see like the clothes that um, you know you you would see him wearing and a lot of the pictures of him and just to see how pretty much like every rapper and every person hip hop and all these athletes style very similarly to him, if not directly in his like image. So um, obviously incredibly influential, even though I'm not well-versed in the fashion world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the fashion stuff, right. He didn't study fashion. He kind of just, as you said, you know, slightly by chance connecting with Kanye, getting his way in that way. But um you can ask the people deep in fashion. It's not like everything he did was the most critically well-received from a fashion critic standpoint either. He took a lot of chances and he broke down a lot of barriers. And I think that's why he really connected with so many people, so many young people uh, in particular, you know, off-white. Again, it's only been a few years, but it's such a, 
such a popular brand that's referenced constantly at this point. But yeah, it's uh, it's just weird to think that you won't see him anymore at this point, just because he was always around. You know, he's always he was always doing things. He was so busy, and yeah. that was I think a constant of a lot of the uh, obituaries and whatnot. It was all the uh, hats he was wearing at this time, you know, and still trying to work as much as normal despite battling this uh, uh, sickness in private. You know, it's sad. Absolutely. Um, just want to give a quick shout out to him. Um, one of the things I saw people talking about that he recently did, um, as recently as last year, he created a scholarship um, called the Virgil Abloh Postmodern Scholarship for um, Black students in the uh, fashion world. Um, he raised a million dollars to go towards funding the education for people in that that sphere. Just like a really cool um a really cool thing to do. And I think a good way to keep his legacy going on. So hopefully we continue to see the tributes pour out. Always sad to see, to see someone like this go, but also I think uh, just a testament to the fact that there's these type of people out there making a huge difference. So RIP, huge rip to Virgil. Let's uh, let's move on to something a little different though, Dave. Um, we talked about wheel of time a few weeks back. And I think we, yeah, I, I was definitely not as high on it as you were, but I think there was like some optimism that maybe this is going to be a successful show. I, I, I was not definitely not as high on it as you were, but I think you actually probably predicted right. Wheel of Time doing pretty well, according to Amazon Prime, has been one of the top five best TV releases for them. They, they don't give the numbers, just like Netflix. They, they could tell us anything that they want to with all this stuff. But it's obvious that they, they view it as a success, a success. And so now they're going to be investing in more sci-fi shows. And what's, what's the next one, Dave? Yeah, so alongside the news that Wheel of Time was doing well, according to Amazon, again, Asterix Supply, also came news that Amazon was in the process of dropping a major bag to adapt the Mass Effect video game series into a television series. Uh, Wheel of Time, the forthcoming Lord of the Rings, obviously that's fantasy. Mass Effect is, of course, science fiction in space. And also, one of the most critically uh, well-received video game series of the last 10, 20 years. Mass Effect 2, in particular, is my favorite video game of all time. So this is a very appealing prospect to me, appealing prospect to, I think, a lot of people just because the uh, appeal, the uh, enduring quality of Mass Effect, in theory, could translate very well to a series. Uh, Amazon knows a little bit about making a space show because they, of course, picked up and continued The Expanse after sci-fi wanted to get rid of it. Um, and they already know what it's like to spend a lot of money on IP, of course, with Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time. Now, of course, the, the question, the, the, the continuing thought everyone will have, of course, is that video game adaptations are not uh, the strongest from a critical standpoint when we look at history, right? And if reception to the upcoming Uncharted film with Tom Holland is any indication, that'll probably continue in the short term. But still, a Mass Effect show, much like even a Harry Potter show at HBO Max, just like the prospect, the idea of it, is just really appealing. If, of course, it's done right and with care. 
Oh, as you think about this, I mean, I'm I'm not as big of a video game person as you are, and knowing a lot of the issues that have come from trying to adapt video games into movies, specifically in television, we have a little bit, I think, less of a, uh, I don't know, history with. So, uh, do you, do you feel like Mass Effect is the type of show that is easily adaptable? Like, to given the the premise and the storyline. Yeah, it's awfully funny to think about that too, because a big thing about those games series of RPGs is that your your choices affect the the future storytelling, your your player choices, and because of that, you, the main character, Commander Shepard, can be a bit of a different character depending on how you play the character. Some of that's a little service level, male or female, but other than that, it's like you can be a good guy, you can be a bad guy, you can go back and forth depending on how you want to do it uh obviously they would have to decide how they want to treat our central character when making any kind of scripted show that's obvious but i think the overwhelming appeal of mass effect is broadly is that it was an original science fiction world that was just really engrossing incredible world building very vast and it, it was the Nothing had brought me back to the feeling of Star Wars the way Mass Effect did when I first played it. And I think that, of course, is the appeal. If you really invest and think about trying to make the Mass Effect world into a show, I think that could suck people in. And you could probably take some liberties with the story. To me, I'm more, I am more. I would be more rooting for just the, the world to be adapted in a, in a meaningful way. And I mean, again, that'll take money. Right. There's there's all these uh, really appealing, uh, layered uh, alien species in Mass Effect and they all and like, you know, how they in the politics and everything. It's all very detailed. There's a lot of lore there, meaning there's a lot to potentially adapt. I think they just have to really commit to it. So obviously this is before they haven't even closed the deal yet. So we're so far away from writers being attached, let alone casting. So um doesn't mean it's even going to happen. But, you know, someone with the funds to pull it off like Amazon is probably one of the better people in, in theory, you know, hopefully they, they pick someone who likes the source material to try and tackle the script, tackle the development. Cause I'm sure it'll be a long development too, but uh, just the, the idea of it's very, very appealing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it certainly seems like it's at the least a few years away from actually being made, but you know, just kind of, speculating because this is what we do when we hear news like this and just kind of dreaming do you have any anyone in mind that you would want to be cast as the lead as commander shepherd if yeah. well, give me one male and one female yeah that's a great question too and i have a feeling they'd probably do fem shep which is you know the default on the marketing was often the, the male shepherd but uh fem shep was very popular with players as well that's a great question. Obviously, you're probably gonna pick someone pretty new, pretty in vogue, right? Um, man, somewhat action chops. You could pick anyone, man. I could see Florence Pugh crushing this shit if she Ooh. found a way into her schedule. Um, I don't know <laughs> if she's ready to go back to TV after a Little Drummer Girl, but um, she she comes to mind. You know, casting all the aliens would probably be a bit more challenging too, because a lot of them are uh, really layered characters that you would need like really good makeup and mocap and everything so that, that that would probably take a lot of planning but yeah being a male a male shepherd i don't know 
let's just go back to who we talked about for James Bond. Pick anyone, honestly. Shepard's not the most uh, emotive guy in his male iteration, too. So you could take some liberties to switch it up a little bit. Well, why don't I throw a name out here for you? Someone that we've seen have some some action chops. Elizabeth Debicki. Mm. How would you feel if she were to be cast as Commander Shep? She's a yeah. little more reserved in her yeah. her acting approach. Yeah, no, that that's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, she's very tall. I wonder if that would factor into that's true. Having her be the lead of an action, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, yeah, no. Uh, she, I mean, I'm a huge fan of hers. Basically, anyone I'm a fan of, I feel like they could pull it off. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any like males come to mind. Just yeah, I mean, anyone on in the Bond shortlist could handle this, of course. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm very interested to see where it goes with this. Um, you know, only knowing Mass Effect from the. Uh, the, I think the size of the the franchise and like the, obviously I think the critical reception is pretty well known even for people who haven't played. Um, it's it's exciting because I, I think while fantasy uh, and I was I know I was mis uh, genreing uh, <laughs> Wheel of Time earlier, fantasy is not necessarily always my favorite genre. I'm a little bit more willing to give sci-fi a shot. So definitely interested to see where this goes. Um, why don't we keep moving forward though? to something that's a little genre bending i would say cowboy bebop the uh the live action adaptation um we're not reviewing the the original anime series at this point there's plenty written about it (laughs) myriad video essays on youtube uh, should you wish to dive in a lot of people love cowboy bebop yeah, and I think rightfully so. You know, um, this is something you turned me on to just recently, and we we uh, we talked anime a little bit more recently on the pod, uh, yeah, and usually films that come up. And so when you mentioned that they were doing a live action adaptation, and you wanted to talk about, it, I was like, oh, I'll I'll get back into the the old series, check it out. It's all on Netflix right now, mm-hmm. um, and I was really just blown away by it. You know, I think um, my my limited experience with anime kind of had me expecting it to be a a little bit more like I don't know like toned up in a sense and just kind of like out there but this was uh (laughs) I mean the the mix of like western noir together just like really blew me away and I liked how it had like an overarching story it was telling while also basically being like bottle episode after bottle episode and just like you know kind of like adventure of the week type stuff um and, and it's really hard to not just like really start to love all the characters in that show. Um, so I, I mean, I, I thought it was great. Uh, the original, well, tell me why you love the original so much though. Yeah. The original Cowboy Bebop from 1998, I obviously saw it way later in life as an adult, but it's my favorite anime of all time. And just, yeah, basically those reasons you're saying it's kind of a common appeal it's also very simple but it's just amazing execution impeccable world building such a strong commanding sense of style it's just really fucking cool dude like you can't fake that shit and on top of that like that vibe that cool vibe is so consistent spike spiegel your lead character just an iconic anime character one of the best anime characters of all time just oozes coolness right it oozes uh, charisma and on top of that like you said 20 it's 26 episodes 
but it's not serialized in the slightest. There is maybe like four or five key, in quotes, plot development episodes regarding, um, you know, Spike and, uh, and Vicious. But for the most part, it's like you said, just these journeys, these in other animes, they would be called filler episodes, but it's not filler in Bebop's case because it's always coloring in your characterization of our characters, of the crew of the Bebop. And, you know, I, I just, it, it's just so lovable. It's so easy to revisit that world building of like a, a future uh, of our solar system, right? It's uh, just so great, so, so, so cool. And, uh, I think me visiting it like later uh, in, in, in life was really cool too, because it was something I had like heard of, I had known about uh, for years and years, but like, I think as most people know, anime was just not the most accessible thing in the 2000s in the West, the way it became in the 2010s. Like you said, Bebop is now on Netflix. Previously it had been on, on Funimation, but like when I first heard of Bebop, it was not that easy to watch unless you, knew someone with the dvds you know in the pre-streaming era so <laughs> to get to the point now where it's being adapted by netflix and meanwhile the original is so easy to see uh obviously is a welcome change uh but yeah i, I love the original and i was willing to give i think netflix i'm willing to give netflix a chance with the live action adaptation and now that the track record of adapting anime is strong, it is anything but when it comes to making live action anime. Uh, think about how many directors have tried to make an Akira movie and they haven't even gotten, you know, to the starting line, right? Uh, Dragon Ball Evolution film from 12 years ago. You know, there, there's tons of examples of bad anime adaptations in live action. But just because I love Bebop so much, just seeing a new spin or a new twist on it, I was just eager to see how it, uh, you know, came to be, what it ended up being. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think for me, one of the things that uh, hooked me about the live action uh, adaptation is that it had some pretty interesting lead actors. Uh, John Cho, um, who we've seen in a lot of things, I think probably came up with Harold and Kumar, but has been in so much since then. And just, I think he's on a good run really right now, searching yeah. Columbus, et cetera. Yeah. Searching one that we both really liked. Um, Mustafa Shakir, who, yeah. you know, most notably from the deuce recently, um, really enjoy his character. And uh, Daniela Pineda, who not someone I was super familiar with, but have, has, I have obviously seen some things. She was in Jurassic world, uh, fallen kingdom. So, She's she's on on the come up. So the, these three really uh, interested me. Um, how did you feel about them being cast as like the main three from the original crew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a good question. So I'd say generally, uh, I like all three of them in the parts. I think clearly Mustafa Shakir is the star of the three. Like his jet is amazing. Honestly, like it's. Mm -hmm. It feels so true to the character. He has such yeah. a great presence. His line readings are great. Uh, I thought he's a total, total, total slam dunk uh, piece of casting. Notably, of course, uh, switching the race here. Kind of funny. The character is, of course, called Jet Black, and now he's actually played mm -hmm. by a black man. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> but I thought he was awesome. Not really the whole time. And uh, I think I, I liked Pineda's uh, energy as Faye. I think the script does some changes, some things about Faye. 
but I, I think yep. she's pretty good. And Cho also, again, the script kind of changes some stuff, right? He's a lot more sarcastic in the live action adaptation, um, like more bluntly, like like jokey uh, as like a response to people talking to him and stuff. I think Cho handles that pretty well. I think that the, the probably the biggest issue, it's not even a Cho issue. I think it's just a live action issue is if you remember how like Spike would like fight people and stuff, right? With those really like high kicks and stuff. It's just some anime ass shit, man. It's really hard to translate anime action to live action. Yep. And honestly, it's John Cho's fault. It's just like, I mean, unless you would cast like one of the guys from the raid or something and just made this more like John Wick in terms of action. If you weren't going to do that, I don't really know how you could have got that across. But Cho definitely has like the presence and, and the, um, the energy you expect from like, you know, bebop them, uh, thematically, right? These feelings of loneliness and ennui and longing and all that—that's still present in the performances, which I like. Yeah, uh, I I think they all were really solid. It's funny you mentioned like the high kick thing because they really do it in like the first, in, like the the cold open of the first episode where he like throws the bullet up and kicks it into the guy's head or whatever and then like they don't ever go back to that that move again so like here you go and then we're never gonna touch this this again um i think just like a hard um like you mentioned a hard thing to adapt but no i really loved loved all of them i would say i I agree i think um jet black uh played by mustafa shakir is probably my my favorite performance in the whole thing um just brings such like a, a gravitas to that that role and you know especially like teetering the line between his uh being a, a father and, and his care for his child while also you know having lost faith in um the police system and just kind of like society in general and trying to like toe that line of like optimism and hope for his daughter's future while also feeling so shitty about right. the rest of the world just really i thought did that great i'm thinking about the scene where he's like watching her dance for some little while uh, Spike is like fighting all, all the bad guys in the background or all the guys trying to kill them in the background. Just really well done. Um, yeah. yeah. Faye, uh, you mentioned that they changed some things in this. And I, I was wondering how you felt about those changes. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously you're going to change a lot of things when you're adapting something. And I'm, I welcome the change. I don't want a carbon copy remake. There's really no point of doing that. So if you're boiling down a 26-episode anime series at 20 minutes pop to an eight episode series that's like 40 minutes pop obviously you're going to change things so a lot of things are condensed right we meet Faye in episode one instead of episode three the syndicate stuff rears its head right away uh but also i think the characterization of Faye is just slightly a little tweaked i think part of it's just the script like she comes off as more of a troll this time around whereas in the anime uh, she was just kind of like lazy and at times like a little incompetent, but it all makes sense once you learn about her past and her lack of knowledge about her past, right? Yep. I, I feel like they kind of shortchanged her a little bit uh, in the writing department uh, for the Netflix adaptation. On the other hand, I like how they, you know, she's not as overtly sexualized now as she mm-hmm. was in the anime. That is a positive trait. Um. And I still like the performance. I still like the energy, but I think a lot of times the script kind of uh, lets her down. And I think that generally, like that, that's my biggest criticism of the adaptation is the script uh, because the show is now very, very serialized. And unfortunately what that means is there's just a lot of vicious and Julia 
a lot of syndicate stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vicious is not a big presence in the anime. No, pops up here and there uh, in relation to Spike, but now he just has all this backstory that I don't think really amounts to much, right? We don't need all this buildup to him taking over the syndicate. That's basically our first introduction to him in the anime. He's already taken over the syndicate, you know, with the coup and all that. So I just didn't feel like that change was executed well enough to to be that kind of change, you know. Um, I mean, even uh, Jet having a, a daughter, which is completely brand new. Uh, I, I wish it added a little bit more to it. Honestly, like it comes up in the plot, but like. I wish this. I wish this adaptation had a little less plot, you know, because that was one of the best things about the anime. The hangs, yeah, you know. I, I still think it's a pretty fun hang. I, I did like seeing how they would pull in elements of certain episodes, you know. Right. Um. I obviously, I think the first episode of Cowboy Bebop, where it's like that pure Western feel with the red eye and stuff. Yeah, it's just like unassailably amazing episode of television, and so. <laughs> it makes sense they would want to put you back there uh, in some way. And I think most of the first episode, if I'm remembering correctly, you kind of are there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely some changes to it. Um, but I, I, I loved when like things like that would pop up when you're, you know, back in certain episodes or callbacks, to certain moments, you know, they had right. the, um, the uh, nature terrorists or environmental terrorists. Yes. Uh, pop mm-hmm. back up in Echo different terrorists. ways, stuff like that. Yes. There you go. Um, did were there any specific like uh adaptations like that or callbacks to old episodes that you really enjoyed yeah and um in episode two i liked how you got the uh mushroom samba guy popping back up in a really completely different role um i like the references to the jupiter jazz duo episodes which was nice um yeah i I like the red eye not as well as you mentioned uh the first episode anyway um, they changed that a lot. Cause I, like, I like that casino set up in yep. the beginning on that like space casino. I love the shot when the uh, the coins are like falling on their face uh, due to the gravity being messed up. Right. Uh, that's all nice. You know, I, I thought the um, our first introduction to our first you know connection with Spike and uh, Vicious, where we have the reference to the uh, Fallen Angels episode, where we had the iconic you know gun meets sword pose that we see don't know if that quite have a candle to how it's done in the <laughs> anime but overall like i i think the show is commendable for a lot of its like tonal shifts especially when you remove it from the anime like if you try and not compare it to the anime or if you're someone who doesn't even know what the anime is i feel like you like it a lot more which i think does speak to something right there's definitely like really right. good bones here and i thought that the script was there's a little tighter like some of the dialogue was pinched up right and some of the um n- narrative was uh, toned down a bit and i think you'd really have something so it's really funny to see kind of a really wide range of response to this right there are people that think it's uh kind of impressive and then there are anime fans who are just really displeased and i'm not one of those as an anime fan you know, I definitely still have, uh, you know, some issues in quotes. Not like I'm offended or anything. You know, like obviously, like Ed is a character that's barely present at all in live action. Ed's also kind of barely present in the anime too, but more present. So that's mm-hmm. a change. 
you know, it's, I think one of my uh, disappointments in Netflix more than anything is the production design, I think is really uneven. There's a lot of like scenes set outside where those exteriors look just really cheap and clearly like on a back lot. And that's not what I want from a world so expansive Vast. and inviting as Cowboy Bebop is an anime form. You know, that that's disappointment. This is appointing, especially given yeah. a, a, the Netflix budget this should have. So that's annoying. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think your criticisms are really valid. And uh, I think I agree with, with your take that, you know, uh, spending so much time with Vicious and Julia didn't really serve it too well. Um, you know, like I'm thinking back to like the last two episodes of the series, right? And episode nine is completely like plot catching you up on the relationship between, you know, Spike and Vicious. And it really just takes you away from the the original three, Jet, uh, Spike, and Faye, which is kind of who I just like hanging with the most on this show. And that's kind of where I want to spend the most time for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, you still get a, some of the, you know, being cowboys, uh, going to get bounties, that that sort of thing. But it's very, it's very much like a, a side part of the show. Um, and I, I did kind of miss that element, um, at least episode to episode. Also, gotta say, not nearly enough iron for me. We needed way more iron uh, to really, I think, pull the show together. Um, but it, it it sounds like, or at least it seemed like they were really setting it up for a season two. Um, would you want to see a second season of this? Yeah, I think a season two actually is even more appealing because we can just leave even more callbacks to the anime behind and try and do a sort of like obvious. Like, if we can like lose like all, some of that plot and just nod to more of the one off episodes from the anime, that would be really appealing to me. You know, getting Ed, Ed in there more, more frequently as well. So, yeah, I say why not go for it. Uh, I mean, I I hope we get a second season. I, I thought it was uh, really solid. Um, definitely not a perfect show, but I think a lot to like here. And uh, I think if you know it's related to anime or not, give it a watch, at least a couple episodes. I think you'll find something to enjoy with it. So any last thoughts on Cowboy Bebop before we move on? Let's, uh, let's go check out Hawkeye then, because it premiered on Disney Plus Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Holiday season has arrived with your favorite Avenger Hawkeye. And uh, man, I've seen a lot of really positive reviews for this show. It's a, the first two episodes, I think, are a lot more a Haley Steinfeld uh, showcase than, you know, a Jeremy Renner showcase for sure. I think there's also some things about the show I'm looking forward to, but do you agree with the uh, the critical reception so far that this seems to be a, a win, you know, for Disney Plus? Yeah, I guess that's a great question in terms of how you quantify a win, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another Marvel MCU show on Disney Plus. Seems to be solid enough. To most people, that seems to be good enough as well, you know. So I, I was perfectly entertained the whole time i don't know if i was wowed at any point uh and i don't really expect to be wowed either you know because we've seen a few of these at this point so 
as long as I'm just enjoying it, that's kind of good enough for me. And I think this has a lot less plot ambition, thematic ambition than Falcon and the Winter Soldier did. So I'm, I think I'm more likely to be satisfied at the end with this lower stakes holiday in New York setting, you know? I, I don't I don't think it's like anything special, you know. I thought uh WandaVision and Loki are clearly a step above this. Yeah. I definitely think Loki and WandaVision are a step above this. And this feels like you said, I think more in the Winter Soldier realm. Although I think it I think it has a, some more interesting elements to me. Um it's funny because one of them we didn't even see in this. So I'm very, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll just say Florence Pugh. Uh, if you watch the end credit scenes of um, Black Widow, right. you know, is most is most likely coming after Hawkeye in some sense. So there's probably a very good chance she's going to be showing up in this. And um, I am excited to see Florence Pugh uh, on TV again or on streaming now doing whatever she's going to be doing with it, with her character, uh, Elena. she's i guess the new black widow now um i also think just watching tony dalton be super charming and villainous is always a win you know (laughs) we we loved him on better call saul and he's just bringing the schmarm dude like he is just absolutely chewing every scene to a pulp and it was just a pleasure to watch him so I, i i like him more than almost anything we saw in winter soldier for sure yeah, totally. I mean, I love Tony Dalton. I love this look for him as well, really cashing in on the critical cachet he justly received for Better Call Saul and will receive with the forthcoming final season as well. Very excited about that. Um, yeah, you know, if anything, I, I thought like this setting, grounding this in New York around the holidays, it definitely felt like New York City, which is nice. I like how Haley Stein, I like how Kate okay, Bishop's family with uh, her mom, Vera Farmiga's character. Uh, I really liked how that, that all worked. You know, she definitely felt like a, an affluent New York city socialite type person. I like that. Um, I guess for me, and I, didn't, I totally agree about looking forward to seeing Florence P really in anything, but especially in this, because she definitely stole the show in black widow. So that, that's all cool, you know? And on the other hand, like you can't help, but feel like this is, just one of those like six hour movie type deals right like yeah i don't know how much like plot there really is to get in here and it's definitely not a a show that has the ambition as a tv show first the way wandavision did so it's really just like just chilling right and if anything it's not even a backdoor just kind of a straight up pilot and introduction to Haley steinfeld's kate bishop character which I assume will become a anchor for the MCU uh, to come, you know, as the uh, old guard leaves for this, you know, growing new class of uh, heroes, you know? So in that regard, it's nice enough. And I think because Steinfeld's performance as Kate is really nice, honestly, like I think she's has a great energy and precociousness. Like it seems to be working so far. I like that. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing more of that, but yeah, I mean, like, Plot wise, like we're not going to be wowed, I don't think, by the plot, but you know, it's all good. Yeah, well, I I think to your point, it really is a it's a show that has maybe like an hour to hour and a half of plot in it, 
but they're gonna fill it in with little side quests like going to a LARPing um you know event and having Clint uh have to be taken down by uh the the like head LARPer there which I thought was pretty interesting um and and, and silly for sure and definitely enjoyed the the silliness I think that shown through in a lot of these whether it's the henchmen and their dumb lines or their their idiocy or clinton uh kate's uh back and forth and, and one-liners i think also were, were really well like we said you know tony dalton just kind of being himself he, he kind of brings like a, a charm and an essence and you know a little bit of, of humor to his roles so there's there, there's definitely a lot there's enough to like here to keep me interested i would say um I just, uh, I, I guess I'm just wondering if, are they going to kill off Renner, like Barton? Are they gonna, is that the, the plan here to eventually kill him off? It's I mean, a great, great question. They've killed off two, two old guard people thus far, Downey and Johansson. So I'd probably bet against it, but I don't know. I mean, Steve Rogers was kind of killed off. Yeah, he, he's an old man now, you know? Right. <laughs> And we know we're getting uh, Ruffalo in the She-Hulk show. So maybe it's a blueprint to come, right? Uh, Out with the old and with the new kind of thing on on TV, uh, I guess, remains to be seen. But yeah, I mean, like this, this, it's just very Marvel-y, right? Like uh, the humor, the the action, everything's quite familiar. And that's why I think it's like, it's totally fine. It's totally fun. It's good enough, you know, but like. Mm -hmm. Where we've been awfully saturated <laughs> with Marvel in 2021, you know, and, and there's I'm still very more positive to come. on the move, the move, uh, the first two movies anyway. The shows mm-hmm. I think have been maybe the, the ambition of the shows hasn't been there yet for me overall. You know, WandaVision had the ambition and executed at the end, but I think Loki had the ambition too. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I think Loki definitely has the potential too. They've already obviously confirmed that season too. This again feels like awfully small stakes. You know what? Cool. It's fine. Yeah. This is basically like, let's get Haley Steinfeld in here. Like yeah. <laughs> basically just passing up the torch type stuff. And, um, and you know, you know, it's it's been inspired or taking, you know, inspiration from the Matt Fraction Hawkeye comic run, which was so lauded you know, like 10 years ago or so. But again, like, I just don't think the MCU storytelling ambition is there to like transcend, right? We're really just setting up Kate. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, you know, bring up real quick. Uh, last night, tickets went on sale for Spider-Man No Way Home and pretty much crashed all the ticket uh, websites when they first opened um you know if you're in a, a major city most likely to get tickets the first night is going to be quite hard for you at your local theater the 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 thirst for marvel and mcu content is there we're also not going to be getting a confirmed uh, sony and disney uh, came with came to an agreement so we'll be getting another tom holland spider-man trilogy so they're really banking on him as like the the center i think of the uh, avengers moving forward him and uh strange you know seem to be really set up to be yeah. doing playing those lead roles of steve rogers and uh I'm less confident strange being a, an anchor honestly 
Really? Because it feels almost to me like he's been put at the center of all of this next phase, you know, his, his like ties to the multiverse, which seems like where they're going and leaning into with pretty much everything, especially with Kang the Conqueror definitely being there. Uh-huh. It feels like he's got to be a part of it some way. Yeah, perhaps. I, 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 he just doesn't seem like one of like the anchors moving forward. I feel like that's more of a lot of these new people, right? Shang-Chi, Florence Pugh, Haley Steinfeld, uh, She-Hulk, forthcoming, you know? Um, it'd be interesting to see how they thread that needle. And <laughs> it's funny to hear this uh, announcement of more Spider-Man films from Amy Pascal. I'm not surprised that Sony wants to continue the relationship, but wasn't too long ago where Tom Holland's like, if I'm playing Spider-Man still after I'm turned 30, I did something wrong. So I think uh, they're going to have to really back up the Bringstruck for Holland to sign back up for more of these. He hasn't signed up yet. So uh, by the other hand, like you said, there's such an appetite for Spider-Man, which makes complete sense. Spider-Man is the yep. most popular Marvel character, has been the most popular Marvel character. Um, this movie, they will back up the, the trailer. Was, yeah, the trailer was so widely uh, received, you know, so I'm not mm-hmm. surprised. Um, and Holland, you know, it's not like he's done too much with his limited opportunity outside the MCU, right? We didn't didn't love chaos walking didn't love cherry <laughs> uh we probably won't love uncharted on the other hand he i respect his desire checks yeah just, i respect do it, his desire to diversify his career though you know tom just just do what you're good at man you're, you're the he's by far the best spider-man we've had in my opinion so just keep doing it man you're, you're crushing it but yeah it, it it's, there's a lot of interesting subplots with it moving forward. It just feels like it feels like it's an unstoppable force. And I'm just kind of waiting to see what's going to be the thing to really like, you know, be the first major stumbling block. I mean, you would think with the TV shows, Falcon the Winter Soldier, not that great. Eternals just came out and we're, you know, critically panned, although still did pretty okay at the box office. And then Spider Man, the, the moment it drops, it just yeah. fells out though. It's yeah, you know, it just feels like it's unstoppable at this point. I don't yeah. know. The the Anyways. Eternals, uh, the Eternals' lack of relative success compared to everything else is interesting, but they've so rarely missed like that that you know that might just affect future Eternals plans more than anything else. So, I mean, Good yeah, point. what do you expect, man? It's Marvel. Uh, I'm sure Doctor Strange too. You have to imagine will do uh, big business in May given the WandaVision setup, the Spider-Man No Way Home setup, and all that. All right. All right. Yeah, man. Mar- Marvel does their thing. It, it, it's <laughs> what it is, to quote Joe Pesci. <laughs> um, while we move on, though, to the big screen, Licorice Pizza Dave uh, dropped in select theaters uh, in major cities this past weekend, and uh, you were home and close to new york city so you got to go and check out i think it was the very first screening of it right or like maybe the first one on a friday maybe the, the next yeah. day yeah yeah, yeah. it's probably yeah licorice pizza was only on four screens in new york and la this weekend it's uh going wide on christmas so a traditional platform release for an indie film and did really big business thus far, which is nice to see because, as we know, the adult drama box office has been slow 
to return. Look at Belfast and Spencer and uh, you know a few others at this point. It hasn't been too great, but you know, PTA, in a sense, is his own IP, like a Tarantino, right? He has his fans. And at AMC Lincoln Square in New York, I mean, there might have been like five empty seats. It was completely packed. And also a really fun experience because that was in a 70 millimeter. All these showings right now are being shown uh, on film. And that's really cool. But yeah, I mean, got to see the, the ninth Paul Thomas Anderson film. First one since Phantom Threat. It's been a few years. And also really fun and exciting because this film, previously titled Soggy Bottom, this film was kind of made in secret. We didn't really know too much about it until he had basically finished making it. And then sure enough, here it is coming out with some awards aspirations. But uh, regardless of how that goes, it's been pretty well received. And I have to agree, I did like the movie quite a bit. I thought it was really, really strong. And, you know, there's not a whole lot to spoil about this film. It's not that kind of movie, but I'll still try and keep it spoiler free here. But it's really just a classic coming of age story with some familiar PTA trappings set in LA, set in the Valley, Encino specifically. The Valley, of course, famous or familiar to PTA fans as the setting for Boogie Nights as well. Uh, and in this film, set you know, in the uh, early 70s, right around the uh, uh, OPEC oil crisis timing, this uh, kind of had this two-hander going on. Cooper Hoffman, the son of the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, plays Gary Valentine and he comes across and he's like a 15 year old kid in school and he comes across uh, Alana Kane played by Alana Heim of the rock band Heim and these are both of their first uh, first film roles of course PTA has a relationship with Cooper Hoffman from his dad and he also has a relationship uh, with the band Heim because he shot some of their music videos and something I didn't really know about this movie going in is that the rest of Heim is also in Licorice Pizza. Esty and Danielle, the older sisters, are in the movie as uh, Alana's sisters in the film. And their parents <laughs> are played by the Heim sisters' real parents. Wow. So it's a complete family affair. Really cool to see. But I think everyone does a great job. In particular, Alana Heim is really great in this. You know, it's her first film role. Mm. Not that she's new to being on camera of course she's been in a band for 10 years but she was really good actor honestly man and the movie honestly is more about her than it is about gary um but a lot's been made about this so far because alana's character alana is in her mid-20s and gary is like 15 so there's not quite a romance going on here but it's a bit of an attraction they kind of grow and have their ups and downs together in this coming of age right gary kind of older than he actually is and alana perhaps longing for her younger days it's it's complicated and a bit transgressive obviously right it's not i wouldn't say it's like a relationship that's like overtly grooming but it's not too far away from that either i suppose you know um and I think the movie is aware of that. Lana has a line where she's like, is it weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15 year old friends all the time? And she's like, yeah, it's weird. 
like the movie knows that this is a uh, kind of an out there thing, but I I really think the the beats, you know, the coming of age, the, the hijinks, everything about it is just really strong, and it's I, I really like the characters, especially Alana. Um, along the way, you have kind of these detours and side uh, stories as they're kind of going up and down through their journey together, and more famous faces pop up like Benny Safdie. Sean Penn and Tom Waits and Maya Rudolph. Um, Bradley all, Cooper has a scene in the trailers, which I'm very yes. excited to see. And Bradley Cooper, <laughs> who is excellent cast. I don't really talk about any of those supporting roles, but they're all strong. They're all well done. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's uh, honestly a really awesome movie. There's there's one thing I really disliked about it, though, was um, there's this moment where this supporting character, this restaurant owner played by uh, John Michael Higgins, this kind of like speaks like a an Asian caricature um, in regards to his Japanese uh, wife. And it's like one of those things where it's like the movie's playing this guy off as a buffoon, as a fool, as unlikable. At the same point, like, I don't know if like is doing an overtly racist joke twice at that. I don't know if that like really adds anything to the film. And I've seen a lot of yeah. that uh, sentiment shared uh, as well. So that, that that part was definitely a miss for me. But still, I think overall, the movie's really, really compelling, you know, in part because of it's a bit unusual to see this this relationship and twist on some familiar stuff that we associate with coming-of-age stories. So, you know, uh, the score is awesome. Johnny Greenwood's having a great year. He also did the Spencer score. A lot of big song drops in this, familiar for PTA fans. But... Yeah, man, licorice pizza, obviously a must-see, but I think yeah. it's earned earned its reputation. It, it's a really good one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, PTA just everything he puts out is pretty much can't miss at this point. You know, the the vibe I kind of got from the trailers, especially like because I mentioned that Bradley Cooper scene, and it kind of felt a little bit like the scene with Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was wondering if this was kind of like a similar type movie where there's like an overall plot, but it sounds like there's just like a lot of like side stuff that's like interesting and fun to hang with. Yeah, that's exactly right. You'll definitely get Once Upon a Time in Hollywood vibes from this. Definitely. Nice. I can't, I, I honestly can't wait to see it. I'm very jealous that you got to go. Um, yeah, I mean, I will, hopefully it will be by me before uh christmas day when it's supposed to be dropping um wide everywhere but um if i can't see it till then we'll talk about it in our year end wrap-up because i have a feeling it will probably be on at least one of our lists um why don't we move on though to ridley scott's second movie of 2021 house of gucci um man there's been so much hype for this I felt like there was no way this was going to live up to expectations. I mean, obviously, huge ass Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Chino, Selma Hayek, a lot of big names. So going in, it's like, okay, I got this awesome cast, got an interesting story, Ridley Scott at the helm. This better be great. And Dave, was it great? I had a lovely time with House of Gucci. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not as good as the last duel, which deserved way more people showing up to see it. But House of Gucci is still pretty, still pretty fun. You know, it's kind of a part crime film, part family drama, a lot of camp going on. 
but still very well made, as we expect from Ridley Scott. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, you know, I, this was, you know, it's interesting. I didn't actually think about if I liked this more or less than the last duel. I, certainly, I think in terms of, of my own personal taste and the kind of stories I like to watch, I think I I liked the story more, um, especially like I find the 1980s much more interesting than medieval times. But uh, I've definitely thought about The Last Duel a lot since seeing it. Uh, I have to sit, sit with that question a little bit more. Screenplay wise, um, The Last Duel is very impressive. Yeah. And, and you mentioned like the campiness of it. And this is certainly a movie that I think is like, in on the joke of itself you know it's like telling the story of the fall of the gucci family dynasty within the the gucci brand um it's been you know told many times before this uh based on a, a book from 2010 uh the house of gucci a sensational story of murder madness glamour and greed by sarah gray uh sarah gay forden uh my apologies for the mispronunciation there um but it definitely feels like everybody in here is like kind of mocking the lavishness and the lifestyle and the, the, the way things went down here. But I actually thought like there were some real moments of, of like sorrow and sadness and, and uh, just really like heartbreak, especially surprisingly really loved Al Pacino's performance. Not that I thought he's gonna give a bad performance, but like, the way he was able to like tone it down, um, especially in like the boardroom or like the, the lawyer meeting near the end and like really made me feel sad for some of the, you know, some of the characters. I was like, huh, th- this movie might have a little bit more under the hood than I first expected. Um, did you have that same feeling too? Yeah, it, w- it was pretty cool to see uh, in a movie with a lot of over the top stuff to see Al Pacino not being at the forefront of that. Um I like that. That was just unexpected, you know. Um, I'd say like this: the, the movie's quite long, you know, like script wise. Like we probably could have toned this down a little bit, just because I think I think the ending is not as strong as the rest of the film. But you you have just a lot of really likable pieces going on in this movie, you know. And I I, I loved Al, you know. I love Al in general, but he was really good. And it's it's quite wild how effective Jared Leto is in this film. You know, all latexed up, uglied up as uh, Paolo Gucci. Mm. But man, like, there, there's a sense of sadness around his character. There's a lot of comedy with his character and the antics and all that, too. But... Honestly, I think it's one of the best Leto roles in quite some time because the movie just knows how to use him, right? You know? And meanwhile, you have him next to his dad, played by Al Pacino, and Pacino's not on that level, you know? And you have Adam Driver in this, Maurizio, not on that level either, you know? And Gaga is definitely on the level. But, like, they kind of even it out with the performances and the characterization and stuff. So it's just really fun to, to, to be in this story, even if at times it's really campy, you know? Yeah. Uh, Leto had by far the best reception of any actor. I think uh, in my theater, people just dying at his, his buffoonery, uh, <laughs> you know, he's such a ridiculous character and the way that he plays the guy, 
the voice pitched up and you know he, he really sounds like going back to another tarantino movie glorious bastards when they're like you know pretending to be the italian people dominic de coco like he sounds like that guy a lot of the time the way he talks um i i thought leto was fantastic and, and uh you know i just totally stole most of the scenes that he was in but you also mentioned someone else that was toning it up lady gaga did you did you like her performance i felt like she was definitely throwing a hundred. I just wasn't sure if she was hitting all the corners for me. Did you like it? Yeah, no, I think without this performance, you don't have the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't care about the accents, man. I don't really care that the accents no. aren't, aren't good. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter to me at all. Cause the energy is there. And obviously it's a very different performance from her Gaga in a star is born 2018, obviously. But you kind of need her to set the tone. I think she does a really good job of descending into a bit of manicness at the end as her fortunes change in terms of her, you know, presence in the Gucci family and all that. Um, yeah, I like, like the scene where she discovers the, the prevalence of knockoff Gucci products available for affordable prices, you know. The way she uh, handles that I think that that moment, that scene is really good when it's played off of uh, Pacino's reaction to the same knowledge, you know? Yeah, no, it's super effective, that scene. And I agree, I, even though I don't know if I totally loved her performance, I think it's because I was expecting more of the like seriousness of A Star is Born. And this was obviously a lot less serious of a role for her. I, I do think she, though drives most of the the ship even though there's a a good portion in the second going to third act where she's kind of sidelined for a while up until you know the stuff between her and Maurizio really comes back uh you know their relationship issues comes back I uh I really thought Driver was great um I mean he's always great but he's just on like unbelievable heater I feel like he hasn't really had a, a bad performance in a movie in a long time if I can't even really think of the last time I thought he wasn't good in a movie but he's just like such a good straight man in this and really drives things forward. I felt like, and it's weird because I I feel like all these characters, this is a testament to Scott's direction. You're really rooting for a lot of them, even though you know that the story is tragically going to take a turn. Like I really wanted to see Maurizio just be happy. I didn't want to see him pulled back into the family. I wanted to see him and uh, Patrizia just like have a nice life together and see it kind of, uh all fall apart is definitely tragic and like i said i think that's uh that downfall is underscored really well with pacino's uh scene when he signs his shares over to um i don't even know who that guy was uh silvana or whatever investor investor group something like that yeah Uh, outside investment that ends up taking control of gucci as it stops being a family-owned business in, to driver right. the driver point i uh i like how the movie handles the change with Maurizio. you know driver is really good at commanding a villainy a lot of times with his physicality and the movie really subtly has Maurizio change as he cools on his marriage to patricia really liked how that was handled uh, i also loved uh seeing camille cotin 
as um, uh, his uh, new love interest. She was, of course, really great in the water earlier this year. Seems to really be on the rise in terms of her roles uh, in Hollywood. Of course, the famed French actress. And I think another nice part about this movie too is uh, it was shot on location a lot. You know, they made this this year during COVID, not even last year. They made it this year and really just crap this one out. It's honestly really impressive because it looked really good. All those villa scenes and stuff. Uh, anything in the, uh, uh, in the Swiss Alps, of course, looks amazing. The, the settings are unbelievable. Yeah, the, the settings, the houses, all the villas, amazing. And, you know, I, I keep looking at your background, Dave, and this just is such an important point but the movie and all the costumes look like a million bucks, just like anyone that's wearing Gucci obviously should. And it's so funny to see Patrizia's downfall. Cause you just start to see her look shabbier and shabbier and shabbier after this, like rise from, you know, like a mod- modest beginnings. And I think it's just done really well. And it really is just like, so fun to see these different people from the fashion world pop up in different ways and not not in like a heavy-handed way and you see Anna Wintour show up for like a scene uh Tom Ford obviously is in it as you see Gucci's you know started their rise back to, to prominence and main street streamed them but it's not really even mentioned his name isn't even said until he's reading the article about himself later on like it's right. it's just like they kind of just throw these things in and are, they're not like oh look we have this this guy tom ford that could be a great person to take a risk on they're just like yeah this, this guy in texas like i thought that's really well done just like mm-hmm. fun to throw those people in there so yeah yeah i, I was mean re- the I was movie's re- just fun yeah totally i, I was reading uh apparently uh the timing of tom ford's that's the show at the end there apparently that actually had happened after Maurizio was already uh, uninvolved uh, with the company but of course for dramatic licenses i like that they changed this yeah uh, yeah man it's it's a lot of fun you know i think to some people it's probably overly indulgent and they probably just can't stand the leto performance i totally understand that you know it's uh it's not the most refined film not even the most refined ridley film again i think the last duel is just a lot more high-minded about it what it's communicating but it's really good time and it's nice to see this movie have a strong box office over the thanksgiving week a lot of women are going to this film as well it's uh you know part of that's probably the gaga factor but um i think that the marketing is probably quite successful on this movie you know it's been we, we've known of the, the shot of driver and gaga in the ski gear for uh months at this point oh yeah but, it's it's nice to see an adult drama uh, catch on the way they they can in COVID anyway. Totally, um, I think like my only knock uh, really on the movie is it's a little long, uh, two and a half hours. I mean, probably could have cut some some aspects of it down a little bit, but overall that was great. Also, just really wanted to quickly shout out um, Jack Houston, who mm. uh, I don't it's know, Domenico. I just thought he really played Domenico really well. Um, it's just like this, like ever present, like looming presence <laughs> in the movie. Uh, also, we didn't even mention Jeremy Irons, but like, it's just always a pleasure to see Jeremy Irons. I feel like he's playing the same kind of character recently, but just he plays that like grumpy old man so well. And the scene with him and, and Paulo, where he just totally eviscerates him and, and 
calls him an idiot is just like gutting dude and then he pees yeah. on the the thing i just was like right oh, man this 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 is exactly what this movie's going for so yeah well done hell yeah apparently actually Paolo was a little bit more successful than the movie lets on of course yeah. he did not, his fate obviously it remains the same but uh yeah, I don't care about the liberties. The Gucci family is not too pleased about uh, this story. I'm not surprised either. Yeah. You know, Tom Ford actually uh, was kind of positive about uh, the film. He's like, he pointed out some inaccuracies, but he actually, I think, seemed to like it, which is nice to see. Of course, he is a filmmaker himself. Um, you know, awards-wise, I'm not sure where this is headed. You know, Lady Gaga was nominated for Best Actress last time around for A Star is Born. We know what to expect from Adam Driver in that department as well. Um, I think maybe it's possible. You know, it depends how this movie catches on, but it's probably borderline for Best Picture, you know? Too early to say. Yeah. yeah. It's hard It's hard to say. Um, you know, the, the field is kind of starting to take shape. I mean, we're going to be probably talking about one next week. That seems like a lock for it. Um, you imagine licorice, licorice pizza. If it continues to get good reviews, probably as a lock for it as well. A few others from this year. So it's probably a fringe one. I'm, I'm actually most interested to see if Pacino gets, uh, you know, a legacy nom for best supporting. Cause I, I really thought he was great in this. Um, definitely surprised me how, how great. So I, I could see that and would hope for him to get some shine there, but We'll definitely see. Uh, speaking of that, Dave, what should the people be watching for next week? Yeah, there's not too much coming up uh, immediately next week, but the few things that are coming up are important, such as the movie you just referenced, The Power of the Dog, a top flight Oscar contender coming out on Netflix starring Benedict Cumberbatch and others. Very excited to finally see that. The Jane Campion movie, first from her in quite some time. Also have the premiere of the four episode hbo miniseries landscapers starring david thulis and olivia coleman i feel like olivia coleman has long been a must watch at this point so i don't even need to know what the show is about to want to check that out um and there's another movie i'm really excited to see it's already out it's been out for a little bit uh, it's come on come on the mike mills film starring joaquin phoenix which has been slowly expanding in release Beatles Get Back is out there right now. May talk about that. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find things. That's not a problem. Hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Follow us at nostalgiapod on Twitter. And as always, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. We'll see you next week. Yeah.